0: So
1: we're here in Los Angeles, because I want to find out what's going on in California. The highs and the lows. California has had a massive influx of people into what is essentially a desert. A lot of thirsty people and not enough water. It's a corrupt place. It is a place of great wealth. It is a place of extraordinarily high taxes. And it is a place of massive illegal immigration. Fully 17% of the California budget is spent on illegal immigrants. What does this mean? What's going to happen? So we're going to explore the politics. We're going to explore the economics. We're going to explore the demographics. And right here we can see this incredible city from this vantage point. Incredible blue skies. This amazing city of Los Angeles. Over here we have snow-capped mountains. The sea. What an amazing, magical place. And it was a place that, when I was younger, seemed to have limitless possibilities. And now, the great question that is being asked in America, in the West, where it has always been said that if you want to look at the future of America, you look at California. The death is extraordinary. The social dysfunction is staggering. Is this great city of Los Angeles a dead city walking? Has it been hollowed out, like a tooth that is going to collapse from the inside? Is it merely left standing because of a prior economic vitality and cultural energy? Has it died, but has yet to be pronounced? Can it be turned around? These are all very big questions. We're going to dig deep and find the answers in this story of California.
2: Very good. Let's then take um, item 12. Item 12 will be as now before us. And um, Mr. Cidio,
3: Members, uh, thank you for your attention to this matter. Uh, This is the declaration of the city of Los Angeles as a city of sanctuary. And we bring this matter to you as we move forward in this Trump era, an era that began when Donald Trump announced his presidency and he said that Mexico sends us, not their its people, they're not sending their best. They're sending you people who have lots of problems. They bring drugs, they bring crime, they're rapists. Seldom in the history of this nation has a pres- presidential campaign been launched with such hate, such vitriol, such racism. We reject that. And today, with this declaration, we declare that for all those who have been under attack in this Trump era, that this city, this day, and this time will be a city of sanctuary. It will be a place where people will know that they will be judged by the content of their character, and not by their color of their skin, not by who they choose to love, not by when they got here. They will be judged by their contributions to our city, they will be judged by their commitment to family, and they will be judged by their commitment to build community. And so I'm very proud to offer this here to all of us today at a moment in which the president calls for unity, and continues in all his divisive policies. We have seen that with this statement, it led to children being ripped from the arms of their parents, children being placed in cages. And let me say to you and to the president, I've been to the border. I've seen and spoken to the mothers whose husbands were killed. I've seen the children who narco-traffickers put guns to their heads. I've seen the young men who don't want to join gangs, but are fleeing the violence of their countries to which we contribute much to. I've talked to the disabled, I've talked to those in the LGBT community.
1: See, the interesting thing here is that he's actually making a case for there being a war, because he's saying when he goes down to the border. That there are women whose husbands have been killed, that there are people who have guns put to their heads, that there are young men who don't want to join gangs. Well, all of this is occurring because people aren't coming into America legally. So when he's saying that we've got to have a sanctuary city, he's encouraging people to go into these incredibly dangerous tracks, to be preyed upon. by What was it, 80% of the women get raped along the way across the border? And uh, he's saying saying basically that there's criminals and drug traffickers and murderers all are swarming and preying upon the people across the border. Doesn't he care about their safety and security? Doesn't he want them to come into America legally and following the laws, uh, it really is astounding. The Sanctuary City thing is astonishing. He also says, let's judge people by their contributions to the city. Well, illegal aliens take vastly more out in taxes than they pay, or out in resources than they pay in taxes. So the idea that we're not going to judge people by the color of their skin, of course, we don't want to judge anyone by the color of their skin, but if you're going to judge them by their contributions to the city when they are taking far more out of the public purse than they're ever going to put in, is there not a reason to judge people according to his own standards, but there's no data, there's only sentiment, and that's the problem with democracy these days.
3: ...ordinance and our commitment to making this a city of sanctuary and true meaning. I thank all of you.
2: Thank you, Mr. Cedillo. Seeing no other members on the queue on this item, let us now open the roll, close the roll, tabulate the vote. Twelve eyes. That item is
1: past. I am next item. So the uh, the vote is in, and as you can see, it was, I think, unanimous. Uh, some women, some Hispanics, I couldn't still read all of the names, but this is one of the challenges when you have a multi-ethnic democracy, that sure it just turns into an ethnic headcount, that, that the people I'm who are Hispanic to a and vote for government that government which is beneficial to Hispanics in this case. They believe that, that it in it is open borders, though. On there's lots the of data that would cause them to, to, to disagree. Prices. But people don't vote according to the the principles. They vote according to ethnic preferences, and philosophy becomes useless. It's just tribalism.
0: I want somebody else to get it So you know what it feels like to have all these illegal aliens Taking our housing and putting black people on the street And other people, not just black people, whites too Okay Um, I think that we need to invest some money in this typhus If it's in City Hall, it's going to spread, believe me and uh, you are putting the people of this city in danger, physical danger, by allowing all of these illegal aliens to come in here. And we've got thousands who are trying to get in here now. And I say that President Trump is doing a great job. He's bringing in maybe three thousand more troops. And I say shoot to kill, shoot to kill anybody who try to break into this nation. Shoot to kill because this is an invasion from you Democrats, you communists. This is nothing but an invasion. No, let's get to number the next one, number fourteen. Uh, here, this is, again. This is about uh, controlling pests and things like that. Environmental concerns. Yes, we have environmental concern. We have too many people. Five million illegals, and then maybe three million living on the street. That brings in disease. Okay. We want to get you out of office, all of
2: you. Next speaker, Wayne
1: actually did ask this lady for an interview, but she doesn't do uh, interviews. Really? Very powerful. I mean, she's right, of course, about disease. She's right about uh, illegal aliens and some of the problems that they bring. But as and you can see the tribalism, she's saying, and this is true within the black community, being pushed out by the Hispanics. She's basically majorly concerned with the effects on the black community, which I understand and I sympathize with as well. But again, you have that tribalism, there's no principles involved here. But the fact that she outlined communism and socialism as a driving force behind immigration, kudos to, <coughs> to her. That's a
0: very powerful a point and very true. East, of constraints, under the guise
2: of so we have? Stefan?
1: That was me, right, Stefan? Sorry, I just wanted to mention uh, I'm, I'm just down here from Canada observing the American democracy at work. It's quite a fascinating process, and I appreciate the, uh, I wouldn't say the invitation, but the opportunity to, to speak to you. The one thing my particular graduate school education is in history, and the one thing that is very tragic about late democracies is the avoidance of particular issues, and in particular fiscal issues. The one thing that I was reading about that I did not see addressed, and I hope is going to get addressed at some point. So, so could we get back on the agenda yes, items? Yes, uh, I'm before? going to uh, just talk about what's missing from the agenda is how to pay for everything that is being proposed. You have 17 to 18% of the California budget. is being consumed by illegal immigration. Uh, okay. And the, I'm sorry. You're, you're not speaking to any of the agenda items.
2: Okay. That's your last warning. So you got to stick to the taxes. agenda items, sir. You have the
1: highest taxes o- okay, in the union. Okay. I'm sorry. You you're simply not on the agenda items. Please get on the agenda items now. How are you going to pay for a sanctuary okay. city? That's my your question. Your
2: time has been forfeited. You're not speaking to the items, sir. Okay. So Thank you. So with that, Robert Smith, please come forward.
1: So there it was, my friends. We took you deep into the dark, squid-like belly of the beast, modern, I guess, city council democracy at work. So just so everybody understands very clearly what's going on in that room. So what's going on in that room is the perception of infinite resources. There's no need to limit. There's no need to restrain. There's no difficult decisions that need to be made because there are infinite resources. They can print money, they can, well they can't print money, but they can get printed money from the Fed, they can raise taxes, or they can just borrow. And of course they can sell bonds, which future generations are gonna pretend to have to pay for. So when you have infinite resources, why wouldn't you be nice? If you've got a winter cabin and your family can't get out till spring and you don't have a certain amount of food and your kids are hungry, you say, sorry kids, we have to stretch it out. We have to make it through till spring. If you're in, A jungle where there's pretty much infinite food and some friend of yours has a twisted ankle and asks you to get him a banana, what are you going to do? Say no? There's as many bananas as you could possibly want. It's kind of banana republic, I suppose, right? So the question then becomes, why on earth would you ever say no to being nice to people, to giving people free education, to giving people free welfare, free food, free housing, whatever? You'd never say no because the perception is deeply ingrained into particular worldviews that your resources are infinite. And so the only reason you'd ever say no to helping someone when you have infinite resources is because you're a son of a bitch. You're a nasty, mean, grinchy, horrible person who just likes withholding free things from people because you're hateful. And that's why when you try to bring any kind of rational limitation, they get mad at you, right? So I go up there and say, how are you going to pay for this? California has the highest poverty rate in America at over 20%. California is spending 16, 17% of its entire budget on illegal aliens. It has massive per capita debt, and of course it has flight, white flight in particular, but the flight of rich and wealthy people who want to escape the highest taxes in the nation. So when you ask, well, how can you pay for this? You're introducing the limitations that produce difficult decisions. Right, All human desires are infinite. All resources are finite. So you have to make difficult decisions. You give a dollar to this homeless person, you can't give the same dollar to that homeless person. So when you live in this cloud, unicorn, castle land where fantastic magical beasts fart money all over your ledger, then why on earth would you ever say no to anyone? Someone comes in and says, how are you going to pay for it? It brings a tiny shred of chill, northern European, winter-based mentality to what is essentially banana republic thinking. And... They don't like that. And you've got to slide past that and you've got to move on. Now, what's interesting is when I went up and said I'm from Canada and I'm observing your democracy, got lots of smiles, lots of smiles around the table. Oh, a nice person from Canada. He's going to be lovely. Uh, he might even give us a foot rub and uh, he won't give us any kind of libertarian wedgie. But the reality is that when I then started to bring some sort of fiscal reality, uh, the smiles vanished uh, the clamorous came up and I was not allowed to finish. And that uh, is a very natural and inevitable experiment. Reality will reassert itself no matter what people's desires and fantasies are. Math is absolute. We're going to run out of goods and cheese and EBD cards and all kinds of stuff. And then the difficult decisions will have to be made. If it happens later rather than sooner, those decisions are going to be a hell of a lot harder. Standing here in a city council chamber in Los Angeles, it's important that we talk about the reality of the system that we live under. We stand here in a cathedral of coercion. We stand here in a place where nice people in nice suits make pretty speeches about positive intentions and the things that they want to see happen in the world that they themselves will never have to pay for and usually the taxpayers will not have to pay for. And we think that we live in a civilized world because there are chambers like this where people make nice speeches and it seems like nobody gets hurt. Nothing could be further from the truth. This is the chamber where human freedom, human lives and where the weapons are aimed at gets decided and it gets decided through this. Through this microphone. What is this microphone? It is not a sound amplifier. It is a weapon aimer. You speak into this microphone, you convince people who've been brain shredded by endless amounts of government propaganda to follow feelings, to follow emotions, to follow passions, to join with the crowd, to fear censure, to fear ostracism. And you get them to line up behind your language. You get them to stomp in tune with your syllables And then this microphone through this wire, it goes through to people who listen, to people who vote. And when the voting is done, what happens is the police get their memo. The taxes go up 5%, people have to pay that. If you don't pay it, eventually, after a certain amount of letters and the attempt to garnish your wages, men and women in uniform will show up at your house and bring you in with guns out. And if you disobey, they will shoot. The state is one thing. The state is one thing. It is coercion. This used to be well understood, well known. The analysis of political power is the analysis of institutionalized violence. The state is one rule comply or die. If you resist the police, particularly if you're armed, they have the right to shoot you without censure. This room is a bastion of blood. It is where words are translated into weapons. It's where sophistry summons bullets. Until we see that, it will never change. Until we recoil against the actual violence that is cloaked in this pretty marble, we will never be truly free. That's the crazy thing about
0: California, is this
1: income disparity is, <laughs> right. is nuts, right? It's right. worse than Mexico.
0: Right. Oh, oh it, it's horrendous, you know, if you're... And so it's interesting, you know, it used to be a three-class system, you know, the upper class, the middle class, and the lower class, now it's going to a two-class system, the haves and the have-nots. Yeah. So there are a lot of people in the middle class, they don't really know that they're being converted to have-nots, and that's,
3: this is just a, a microcosm of what's going on across America.